You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I just saw this guy on CNBC being interviewed, Greg Moffey, okay? And he made a comment in talking about it. He, he, he is the uh, president and CEO of Liberty Media, chairman of Lash, Live Nation Entertainment, Sirius XM, and TripAdvisor. So Liberty Media is a, uh, it's an American mass media company founded by John Malone in 1991. Uh, and then and, and they have Formula One, Sirius XM, Atlanta, Atlanta Braves, or they have stakes in the Atlanta Braves. But I'm watching it being interviewed uh, by David Faber on CNBC, and he says, uh, I'm talking about uh, the current financial state with his business and this and that, and he says the rates will probably be up for a long time, for a while now, given the Fed increasing the rates. And But then he threw in, and, you know, and I'm concerned with the amount of government debt we have that we continue to add to. You know, and I just thought, Republican, because... You know, as anyone with a brain knows, when Trump was in office, the debt was through the roof. The Republicans always get in office and they run up government debt like crazy. Uh, you know, they cut the taxes for the rich, which runs up debt, and they don't make corresponding cuts because all they want to cut is from regular people and they're not allowed to because they shouldn't be. So nothing really gets cut to offset all the tax cuts. So we just go into further debt. Um so they always do this, and then they and then they turn around, and when they get out of office, they wag the finger at the Democrats. Oh, all these handouts to poor people, government programs, terrible socialism, government debt, government debt. But so anytime you hear a regular JoJo Bean financial guy, gray hair, talking about, and they throw in government debt currently, and the president's Democrat, you know, you have to vomit. On the one hand, you know he's a Republican immediately for making that remark. And on the other hand, it's like, what? what about all the debt Trump just ran up? I mean, it's like, it's just so funny. But anyway, I went to Wikipedia just to see, am I right? You know, is this guy Republican? And it lists him as a Republican. And not only that, under his personal life, very small thing, it notes that he donated $250,000 to Donald Trump's inauguration committee. So anybody that not only is a Republican, but gave a, a, a sizable chunk of change to anything to do with that bozo, he's on my shit list immediately. But the main reason I'm making this podcast is I looked at this guy. Again, his name is Greg Maffe or Maffe, Maffe. You know, he's born May 24th. I was born March 26th, so two, two months after me. 1960, I was born in 66. So the guy's only six years older than me. Now, he looks, I think, older than I do. I mean, he's fit. I'm overweight. You know, and he has a healthy-looking face, but he looks like an old man. But, you know, he's uh, 63, you know, and he already looks like an old man. I hope I don't look as old as him at, as, as him at 63. But first, I got to live till 63, and I don't know if that's guaranteed. But um, so it had me thinking, you know, wow, you know, 63. And I looked at his Wikipedia and it's very limited, very small, not a lot there. And really, it's like he didn't even exist. Now, now, even though there's not a lot there, very important little personal details. He went to Groton or Groton School, which is a private college prep school, boarding school in Groton, Massachusetts or Groton, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um doesn't even say how to pronounce it here. I'm looking at it on Wikipedia. It doesn't specify. But so he goes to a private uh, boarding school, prep school in, in Massachusetts, and then he gets his degree from Dartmouth, you know, Ivy League's college in New Hampshire. Um University, not college. I'm sorry. I don't mean to misspeak. Don't want to insult the man. Then he got his MBA from Harvard Business School. So the guy came from money. It doesn't say where he came from. It just says he was born 
And all it actually, all it says is he was born on May 24th, 1960. Doesn't even say where, doesn't say who his parents were. So the guy's not a real, real big shot is my point. It's a small Wikipedia. He obviously isn't a, a big time mover and shaker. And then you find out why. He, they don't have anything listed as being relevant to this guy until 2005, which is when he joined Liberty Media, which he now runs, you know, where he's the president and CEO. So basically, the guy wasn't on the map in any significant way until he joined Liberty Media. So, uh, and he didn't join it until 2005, but Liberty Media was founded in 1991. So he didn't even join it until 14 years after it was founded. So that's why he was being interviewed, because uh, uh, David Faber went out to, uh, I guess, their located Liberty Media, and probably in Atlanta, since they own the Braves, they're probably in the Georgia area, you know. I can, I can look, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, uh, well, no, they're actually, they're actually headquartered in Colorado, strangely enough. So, uh, but John C. Malone is a much bigger heavyweight. He's a guy that owns Liberty, you know, he's 82. Uh, he's been around a long time. He went to Yale and New York University and Johns Hopkins for his PhD, uh, he got his he got his master's at New York University. So, but this guy, uh, Greg Moffey, steps in in two thousand and five, and that's when he comes on the map and is anything. So I thought, well, how old was he? Well, okay, he was he was uh, forty five, and in two thousand and five, I was thirty nine. And I thought to myself, this is a guy born of a rich family, went to a you know private prep school before going to Dartmouth, you know, Ivy League, before going to Ivy League Harvard Business School for his MBA. So his whole life was like plotted out for him. But he still didn't do anything specifically noteworthy. He had to be doing something to come into Liberty, but he didn't come in as the president and CEO. You know, he is that now. He just joined them in 2005. So... But I still thought, yeah, well, there's a guy at 45 and he steps into that job and now he's president CEO and he's allowed to go on television and rip off the Democrats in, in Congress and give lots of money to um, Donald Trump. And, and I think when he was stepping into Liberty, which put him on the map, I was stepping into this apartment that I'm moving out of in December. I moved in here in, Mar uh, in, yeah, it was March, March of 2005 at the age of 39. Well, actually, I was 38. I turned 39 while living here later that month on March 22nd. And at that time, I was divorced and getting my kids on weekends and working for the Social Security Administration as an attorney in the disability office in the city. Which is all I've kept doing through the 18 years and nine months I've been here. Or it will be nine and a half months when I move out. Uh, 18 years, nine and a half months. So nothing has changed. I mean, except my kids moved away in 2007, October. They moved to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area. Other than that, I kept in the same job and in the same apartment. The same life. I did I did make music, Chancellor Pink, and recorded, you know, four albums and such over starting in 2006. So that did happen after I moved in here. But I got Flitzy, my current cat, who I love tremendously, in 2017. So he was a hell of an addition to my life. But other than that, I was thinking this guy... Greg Moffey steps into Liberty the same time I step into this apartment. He's only six years older than me. And now he's on TV and whatever. And it made me think, <clears throat> and I wanted to make this podcast, that I never gave a shit, really, truly, about what I was going to do with my life till you get older. And then it starts, you start to want to take stock in what you've done. <clears throat> And I'm not sure what to advise, you know, my sons now or anybody in the world. Because I'll tell you this, you know, Greg Moffey might have gone to 
you know, Groton, Groton, Dartmouth, and Harvard. And came from a family where all that shit was uh, laid out for him. But I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. And I went to Carnegie Mellon, a very good school that he would have been lucky to go to as well. But I didn't go for acting. I tried to, but I went there for writing. And then I went to law school. He got an MBA. I, I got a law degree. And um, tried to be a lawyer. Did that for 31 years. But that was all like a settling for whatever to get by, to do something maybe meaningful in life. And it was a bust. I mean, it was a bust for you. I went to four law firms and hated them all and didn't like it. Didn't like being a lawyer in private practice. So I took a job and a big pay cut. Well, decent pay cut uh, to move into the government and stayed there because it was a kind of job that you just wouldn't leave except when I did. But for most of the years there, it was really a great job because you had tons of free time and could live your life and, and took, you know, got a decent salary for that. Uh, but over the course of my life, I didn't make anywhere near enough money. It did create a pension for me. It enables me to be retired right now and survive. I have no money, but I'm surviving. But here's my point. <clears throat> money aside, all that stuff aside, it's like, what did you do with your life? You know, who are you? What have you accomplished? What are your accomplishments? What, what, you know, what trophies can you set out before everyone and show? I mean, how many people are coming to your funeral? I mean, what, what kind of uh, eulogy is going to be given about you? <clears throat> how many cars are in your driveway? Do you have a driveway? Do you have a car? Uh, where are you living? You know. And when I was a kid, I can tell you this without hesitation. And it's not because of where I am right now. This is just the truth about me. I never gave a shit about any of that stuff. I never gave a shit about any of that stuff. Uh, I thought when I was young, I felt like I had a gift. Uh, people told me I was gifted and I felt it was true. Mainly for acting, but I also had a tremendous interest in movies. Yes, I wrote songs and sang songs and stuff, but that was never my primary interest. I, I loved music, no, don't get me wrong, but I never really envisioned myself as a musician or a musical artist. I played viola in school for four years. I tried saxophone, gave that up after a month. I, I tried years later as a young teenager, guitar, gave up those lessons and just learned on my own. But never got any good. I'm still no good. But <clears throat> good enough to make my own music, play bass and, you know, a drum machine and keyboard and guitar and make songs. <clears throat> but, you know, certainly if I had been a trained musician, my chance of making recordings at home would have been better. The instruments would have been more expensive. They would have sounded better. I would have played them better. Um, there's no question of that. I mean, you, you do need to invest in quality sound and quality instruments and you know you should be a, a relatively talented musician when you make music I just sort of made shit up but that's all that's all I cared about see so my point is with music I never really gave a fuck I was just going to make it up movies and, and acting it, it was kind of similar except there I did I did get movie cameras I did make movies I did write scripts I did direct them and with friends and stuff and I did acting in high school and I did write plays for my senior year skits at Christmas time and directed them and you know I did things and I, I I wanted to do that and I wanted to learn and I wanted to go to college for drama and learn more about acting and I wanted to get connections through Carnegie Mellon maybe and maybe move to LA or New York and you know wait tables whatever till I got jobs you know and, and through connections at CMU or whatever um I did have a strong passion for that. And in my mind's eye, that's what I was going to do. I was going to, it was going to happen. You know, I just thought I was talented and I was going to do it. Yes, I was in a band throughout my college years, but uh, I really didn't start till I was two years into college and kind of rode that through most of law school. So at that point, see, I knew I was going to law school right around sophomore year, like 1985. I didn't start the, I didn't join the band until 1986. So the band was kind of like a band-aid for my relinquished dream of being an actor. When I didn't get into CMU for drama, I just gave it up. 
because I it was just a dagger. I, I knew I was going there. I had it all planned. It was in my mind and it was a dream and it was a it was like a rite of passage <clears throat> that I foresaw and knew was coming. So when it didn't happen, I was just I had no backup plan. I had no idea what to do because I wasn't gonna just go to some other college like Point Park. I wasn't just going to go to some other university that has a drama program. It was CMU because I lived there. I was meant to go there in my mind. I was meant to get in and I was meant to, you know, be successful as an actor that way. Just like this guy, Greg Moffey or whatever, you know, felt he was meant to go to a prep school and go to Dartmouth and go to Harvard, see, because of his his family background. You know what I mean? These people were raised in a certain... uh status or, or environment and they think this is my this is my plan this is my path and eventually if they're if they're diligent and intelligent enough and they follow that path they're going to get somewhere like he's ceo of liberty entertainment liberty media whatever so to me my route and what i knew i was good in and what i knew i was destined to do and the path that was laid out for me since i wasn't born in the northeast i was born in the pittsburgh area right where carnegie mellon was and i was well regarded and renowned through high school in my younger years for my performing and acting i was on television a couple of times uh and you know i just felt i started my sixth grade play and that was my destiny <clears throat> and so that was my path. And I feel in my heart, in my soul, and I believe this to this day, I, there was one guy that auditioned me at Carnegie Mellon, and he made a mistake. He just made a mistake, you know. I did a great audition for him. I did a really good job. He did like most of it, I could tell. Uh, but, you know, he, he put me on a waiting list. I didn't just get summarily not accepted. I was put on a waiting list. But and I, if they had ever contacted me, I would have gone there. I, eh, I don't know if I'd let them put me on the waiting list. I might have said no, thank you to that. I might have turned that down. I had, I had, I had a lot of like ideals back then, silly ideals, dumb ideals, like like if somebody doesn't do what what is right by you, then you just turn them, you move on. You don't, you know what I mean. In other words, if they fuck you over, like to me, that was a fuck over that they didn't accept me. I mean, I very much believed. I deserved it, and that was my destiny, like I said. And so he made the wrong choice. It hurt me deeply, and I just thought, well, I, I can't allow them to have a second bite of the apple. No. I think, and I just went there, and I didn't want to worry about it or think about it or wait on it. You know what I mean? Or I might have let him put me on. I really don't remember. I don't remember. But the point is this. Had he not made that mistake, this one man, one man changed my whole life, really. Because had he... Now, I know a lot of those drama students, they quit. They drop out. It's very hard. It's very challenging. They are fam- the reason they have a waiting list is they are famous for chasing away many a drama student every year. Like 30, 40% of the class quits. It's a fact. I read about it many times. So being on a waiting list there is a real legitimate op- opportunity potentially. So I can't imagine I didn't say, sure, put me on there. But I never heard from them. Um, but this one man, it was one man alone in a room with me. He made that call and changed the course of my life. Now, you could say you let him, but you have to understand, I, I was an idealist and a dreamer, and that was my destiny. And everything that had happened to me in my life to that point directed me there, to that audition room, to that Carnegie Mellon school, to that part of the dream. And for that to fall out, the dream died. I mean, I was an idealist, but I also believe in these sorts of things. In other words, I've gotten older and I realize you've got to overcome shattered dreams. You've got to come up with a new dream. I understand how hard life is. You can't be a little baby and say, oh, one thing didn't work. It's over. It's over. You know, you have to be tough. But this is different. This is if uh, Greg Maffei doesn't get into Dartmouth or flunks out of Harvard or, you know, what happens to him then, you know? Or he gets in, gets into heroin as a young man and becomes a heroin addict. Oh, that happens to a lot of rich people. They can have all the rich parents all they want. They still get into drugs and or they're lazy or they don't even want to go to school. So, you, you know, just because you're the child of a rich parent and you can go to all these fancy schools doesn't mean you're going to go and be successful, you know? So, um, 
to me, this dream was dead and that was that. Because this was not something I had concocted. This was God's plan. This was destiny. This was literally like God. And I felt it throughout my life since I was a boy. My interest in movies and the cinema. Very much like Steven Spielberg growing up as a boy, you know. I did not have the equipment that he had. I did not get into it to the level he did, but I didn't have the parents that were rich like his. His dad was a doctor or whatever. You know, they they had more money. They had more money and they had, they spoiled him. And he was able to really dive into fancy schmancy stuff and 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 do more than me. And probably, you know, he had more of a more of a talent, more of a gift. He's a very gifted guy, you know. Um so I don't want to pat myself on the back too much. But my point is it was born into me. I can't say it strongly enough. I, it was born into me. It was a, it was my destiny. It was the life that was, I was meant for. And I knew it. And I knew in my heart, too, that I wasn't just going to be successful as an actor, but that I was going to get to some level of fame. I didn't know what level. but And I didn't want it. I wasn't like a narcissist at all or any of that stuff. I just, just kind of figured that was going to happen to me. I could just... I could just sense it. But this one man derails that whole, that whole dream. <clears throat> and so I, I take up an alternative plan since I was also my high school valedic, valedictorian and I'm already in CMU. Uh, so I went there for writing and then I went to law school and on and on. But so, so flash forward and because my marriage falls apart after I switched jobs, after I went in with the government because I ended up being miserably unhappy as a lawyer, Uh, And really had made a mistake and knew once I was in the profession that it was a horrible life. And, um, but I couldn't get out of it, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Seven years of higher education, you know, three of them in law school, you're trying for seven years to be a lawyer in private practice, and it's an utter failure. I took this job with the government and I figured I'll figure something out, maybe, or maybe I won't, whatever, I'll ride it out. Then when you get divorced, you're financially strapped. And you can't do anything but keep working because you got to make those child support payments for three kids, which I did all the way up until they were 18, which was in 2014. So we're talking about all those years. I didn't really have any choice. You know, what am I going to do? Quit my job, have my kids starve? I mean, I was stuck. I was stuck. I made that choice for law, to be a lawyer, and it, was, it turned out to be terrible. I had no way of knowing that. It seemed like a good idea. At the time, seemed like a hell of a dream. And I knew I had the intelligence for it, which I did. And I knew I was good enough for it, which I was. It just sucked. And I didn't want to make the money because I never dreamed as a boy about accumulating anything. I never thought about achieving anything. I never thought about having toys, money, houses. I never cared about that. I just had this passion to be an actor and a filmmaker and to be in movies and sure to act on stage too, which I did and did well when I was growing up. But you know, that's the vehicle to me, to the movies, you know, you go through the stage acting and all of that to get to cinema, which is, you know, I'm a Martin Scorsese enthusiast. I mean, where his heart was cinema movies, you know, so that was my dream and plan, and then I, I, I sidetracked to try something else when that failed. I had to. I had, I had no choice. And I made it work for me to the point where I'm retired now, and I'm alive, and I'm surviving in retirement, you know, and I'm not struggling. So I'm not a failure. But, but what's interesting is when you get to this age that I'm at, 57, and you watch a 63-year-old guy, Trump supporter on TV, and you see his background, and you think of your background, and you think, you know, things you could have accomplished. And I look at my father and my sister, and they worked real hard through their lives while I was literally the portion of my life when my wife left me and I was on my own, just making money to pay child support. I gave 20 years away to that, really. Uh, it was it was really, they were three and a half when it was. So it was more like 15 years, but... It ended up being 20 because by then it's way too late. You're stuck. So I gave my whole life away to it. Those 15 years, you know, from 2000 to 2014, those 15 years of my life, just holding on to a job to make my child support payments to take care of my kids, <clears throat> to do my duty as a father, that was everything. 
That was literally from age 33, 34 to 49, 50, you know? That's your life. That's the heart of your life, your 40s and your, and your, your late 30s and your, all of your 40s. That's when people accomplish things. This Greg Maffei went into Liberty in 2005 when he was 45. He was 45 and he stepped in to Liberty. That's when you do that kind of shit. I was busy holding down my government job, making child support payments, living paycheck to paycheck. That was my, that became my life. That became my existence. A puppet to my ex-wife who was constantly abusive and mistreating me the entire time, terrorizing me the entire time and, uh, and, and taking care of triplet boys and, and donating money to them regularly and trying to be a good dad the best I could in that situation. And while I was doing that, my father and my sister were cultivating their lives, traveling and hobnobbing with uh, people of renown in the area and going other places and in other areas and hobnobbing with them and working with them, enriching their lives, developing their lives. You know, my sister with no children and my father free of his children and with a girlfriend um, who worked with people, his girlfriend did, you know, worked around people, got involved in things. So um, he, they developed and enjoyed life at the time when I should have been doing the same thing. But because I lost my wife and my family, that was taken from me. So what I'm saying to you is I look at these guys and, and I'm, I'm offering this as a story for you, all of you. If you don't like where your life is going or don't like what your life has become when you're older, take heart. A, I think a lot of people get to the end of their road, especially their work life, and they're disappointed. I think it's probably way more common than not that when you finally finish up, you're like, wow, I didn't accomplish anything close to what I expected to or what I hoped to or what I dreamed to. In my case, I had no hopes or dreams, but I get to the end and I look at what I have and, and it's, it's not going to impress anyone. No one's coming to my funeral. You know, nobody's, I got nothing. You know what I mean? So I got my sons. They love me. That's good. But that's all I have. You know, um, I got a cat. He loves me. That's it. <laughs> uh, everything else I did for, for my 24 years at Social Security, meaningless. Did I make any, develop any long-term friendships or important relationships? Did I do anything important? I mean, no, not really. I helped people. I gave them disability payments, whatever. No, I did nothing. It was, a, it was nothing. Seven years in law before that, nothing. Chancellor Pink Music, nothing. Poets and Poems, nothing. I mean, it's forgotten, shit on, ignored. I mean, all of it. My life, meaningless, really. Except to my sons, you know. And, uh, and even to them, not enough, apparently. Not enough, you know. Doesn't, didn't matter enough. So now that I'm here, 57, I'm, I look and I say, boy, yeah. I didn't have any aspirations. I didn't have any desires. I didn't want anything. And that's why I didn't get anything, partially. But mainly I didn't get anything because things happen in your life that derail you from where you belong. They derail you from where you belong. Uh, you know, I think my, my path where I belonged, where I was meant to be, was as an actor, and that one man made that choice. And then even then, when I made the second choice to be a father and to have a home and children and work a lawyer job, even though I didn't like it at all, and go to work every day and do my duty and try to make money because I have a family to feed, that got derailed. Now, I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes in my marriage and all that, but that was one person too. That was my ex-wife. She made that choice and derailed me from that life. And as a result of those two people, one guy in a room with me for audition at CMU and one woman that I married, my entire life was derailed off for the last 23 years now, living in this apartment for most of it and in this apartment complex for all of it. I moved in here in this, this apartment complex, the whole 10 buildings or whatever, and 2000. So 23 years, almost 24. It's going to be 24 years of my life in the same location. Uh, most of it, all of it really in the same job and now retired and just surviving. 
and achieving nothing and accomplishing nothing and becoming nothing. And those are the prime years of my life from 33 to now 57. I mean, and I could have, should have in another life, would have been better than Greg Muffet. Would achieve more than just some guy who came on the map in 2005 because he joined Liberty Media, some Trump-supporting Dartmouth, you know, Harvard guy. I would have done something way more meaningful, way more profound, way more helpful to the world, way more providing of joy and inspiration and everything to the world than that guy. Had I not been derailed by two people, really. And you could say, well, you don't let them do that. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I mean, I know everybody likes to blame people for their failures. Look within. It's all up to you. Oh, But you wait. You wait. I mean, and if you, you've probably been through this. You, you, you know, some of you, some of you listening have been, you know, are in a job still that you hate. But you're stuck there now because of money or that's the only thing that could pay you what you're making. And, but you don't like it. <clears throat> you can't wait to retire or get out, but you can't afford to just yet. And maybe you had kids, maybe you didn't, but there's not a lot in your life that you're really that excited about. And maybe you had dreams in the arts or otherwise, and you didn't get to fulfill them. And that's kind of, you realize that you're getting older now and that that's not going to happen. You're letting go of those dreams and um, you're wondering what's left in your older years. And you're not sure it's that exciting, but you don't like your job, so you want to get out of that. But you're not sure you really love what lies ahead either. And you're not sure that this is how you saw yourself ending up. And here you are. And then there's health issues. Don't forget about those. My point is this. People can try as hard as we want. And be as smart as we, we can try to be. And work as hard as we want. That doesn't mean you're going to get anywhere. Don't blame yourself. Okay. Greg Moffat came from a rich family. He went to wherever the fuck he wanted for college. And he just went through it. And, you know, and his plan was limited. He's a fucking Republican who vote, you know, gave 250 grand to Trump. You, that's all you need to know about his, his true view of life. That's a guy and people like that. They spend their entire youth planning and plotting a cold, calculated life of accomplishment. Okay. And then you look at people like my sister and my dad, and they lived a life of accomplishment because their circumstances enabled them to and allowed them to. And so they took advantage of that. Who wouldn't? And had a lot of uh, life's experiences and joys and culture and, you know, things that tons of people will be at their funerals, you know. Um, But then you can have a life like me through no fault of your own. You don't need to blame yourself. It's nobody's fault. Things happen, you know, a life where you, you have destinies. One, maybe to be an actor that's derailed by one person. Another, maybe to be a, a husband, father, you know, and have family around you. And that's derailed by one person. And you're left then in those situations with what you're left with, which I don't care what anyone tells you. When you're a divorced single father with child support for three, for 15 years, and you're in a government job that doesn't pay well. What are you going to do? It's not a situation that has a lot of opportunities open for you, okay? And I tried to pursue a dream of making music and maybe making money through my music to supplement and have a life and maybe play gigs and maybe travel and maybe even quit my job with the government as an attorney and become a musician. I tried. I tried. So it's not like I didn't do anything. I did the best I could and didn't work, didn't work. And so what I'm saying to you and what I'm saying to myself is that Greg Maffei, you know, Mr. Hotshot, 63, Liberty, he ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. You know what I mean? I don't have anything to show for my life. But that doesn't mean I'm a nobody. And someone like him, you can figure out how these people get to where they go. They're not hotshots. I don't need to read a biography on these people that are famous. I already know that they are talented people who got lucky. You know, they sure, they worked hard. Sure, they had something going for them. They also got lucky. And most of us don't get lucky. 
See, I don't think I got unlucky. I think this is what happens to most of us. I think one or two people derail us from our dreams and we get stuck in a shit life and nothing much comes of it. And that's life for most of us, for most of us. And I, I think accepting that it takes time. Certainly I fought against it and I had many nights of depression and, you know, uh, you know, things, it's hard. It's hard to accept that your life is, is going to stay this way and it's not going to be very good. <laughs> but over time, you capitulate, you give in, you say uncle, and you realize that, you know, it's, what's important is surviving. What's important is the small things. And for someone like me, I never had aspirations or goals anyway. So I wasn't going to make lemonade out of lemons, you know. I wasn't going to make a silk purse out of a sow's ass or whatever, arse. If you gave me lemons, I was stuck with lemons because I didn't have a goal of how to structure and accomplish life for me beyond the two dreams I already went and worked very hard for and deserved. <laughs> the acting thing that I gave my entire life to up until I was 18 and then the lawyer thing, which I gave my entire life to, and the family thing, which I gave my entire life to from 21 to 33. I mean, that's a lot of years. And when they both are taken from you by two people and you're left alone, come up with another dream, good luck. I already had two that were fucked. Look, our lives are determined by circumstance and luck, largely, is my point. Unless you happen to be born into money and then even then, even then, you're going to have to be cold and calculated in how you plot your life if you want it to be something. The money provides you with a way to do that, but you still have to be cold and calculated. If you're passionate and, you know, let's say it came from money, but you have a passion, a dream, good luck. You probably won't get it even with your money. I mean, we are still, most of us, prone to bad luck. And most of us are prone to circumstances not going the perfect way to give us that dream. So when you see these famous people and you see these rich people and you see these hot shots being interviewed, you don't need to run and pick up their latest biography. You don't need to read their life story. You don't need to try to emulate them because no matter how hard you try, you can't guarantee you'll get what they got, that luck. You can't buy luck. You can't calculate or plan luck. So someone has an opportunity and it comes and boom and it takes off. Listen to Bourdain before he hung himself. That's what he talked about. He got that article published. His mom said, turn it into the New York Post. They published it and that was it. He was like 42 and nothing. He was a heroin addict chef in his early 40s. And he suddenly became famous and was traveling all over the world. And even that wasn't good enough for him. He still hangs himself and kills himself. So he's a perfect story. Of how if you live by your passions, it still takes luck. He got lucky and it wasn't even enough to save his life. So, look, it's, it's really about don't look at these other people and think they are signs of your failure. I mean, look at them and say, boy, they got lucky. Because they did. They did. And that doesn't mean don't try. Okay, that doesn't mean don't have a dream, you know, and if you happen to be the type of person that wants to calculate and plot and plan a, a financial growth and successful uh, things in your life and you have the opportunity to do that, do it by all means, do it. You know, if I went upon my divorce and being alone, if I had had the wherewithal and the opportunity and the financial security to start a whole new life alone. I would have done it. That's why fathers run away from children. That's why they become deadbeat dads. Don't you understand? They're smarter than me who, who live to be a good father and help them to do the right thing because they know they have one life and they want to make something of it, you know? They, and so they say, it's me versus my kids. I made these kids, but now I'm fucked over. I can't, if I, if I surrender to this life of child support, I will have no life. I will lose my life. I am in my prime. This is when I, as a man, need to be accomplishing things, need to be meeting people, doing things, making money, making a living, becoming someone. If I accept what my ex-wife just did to me 
and, and pay these payments out and work this grunt job and just take my kids and see them when I can, my life's over. She moves on. She finds another guy. She starts a whole new life. Maybe she doesn't even have to work for a living. Maybe she does. It doesn't matter. The point is women can find other guys, start whole new lives. A guy dumped like that, three kids, Penny, what do you, I tried. It's impossible. Some guys are lucky enough and find it. Again, luck. But for the most part, no. You know how you find a new life? You leave your kids. You run away. You go to Florida like my ex-wife's father did. And he got divorced. He abandoned his family and he went down to Florida. And he lived a new life and he met a new wife and he lived down there. And guess what? His daughter forgave him because she had him walk her down the aisle in my wedding. So not all the kids forgave him. And her mother didn't come to her funeral because she had her father walk her down the aisle. But the point is, your kids will get over it eventually. You'll make up with them. You know, maybe not. Maybe they'll hate you. But the point is this. It's your fucking life. It's your life. So you either sacrifice it for those kids like I did and then end up with nothing as you get older. You realize your life is meaningless except for those kids and they're gone and they love you, but they're not in your life. And at the end of the day, they're living most of each day without a thought in their mind about you. You sacrificed your life for them and you helped them, but they maybe don't even appreciate it really. Who knows? And you're just gone. You're in the rearview mirror. But you gave them your good years, you know. You you just stuck to your guns, did your thing, did what you had to do, morally felt you did the right thing, and nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Now you have nothing, you know. Or, or you abandon it and you're a deadbeat dad and you run off somewhere and start a new life. And you just say, chuck that life. That life's over. Ex-wife fucked me on that one. Moving on to the new dream, you know? And the new dream is something else. And the people that put you down, well, they're not in your shoes. They still have their wives. They still have their kids, you know? And I, and I met some guys here that were divorced but had businesses. And sure, they stuck around. They have businesses. They were already living their dream. The wife took a big chunk of it in the divorce. They weren't just paying child support. They had equity problems, see? But they already were in their dream. I mean, to me, if you're in the middle of your dream and a wife divorces you and wants part of that dream, oh, well, that sucks. You're losing money. But you move on. You're in your dream. You move on, you'll get another woman because you're living a dream. You have some some business, some career, something you're doing. Women like that. You're sexy still. Your wife left you. Probably she left you because you had another woman. Who knows? Point is, you're living your dream. So, of course, you stay around, pay your child support, take care of your kids. Live the dream that you're still living. Just do it with a different woman. I wasn't living any dream. I, I went into a life that I chose to be a father. I went to law school become a lawyer, to have a career, to have a family. That's it. When I lost my family, I was left with a shit career that I didn't want. And I was already in the government, which was the end. I had already given up on the career that turned out to be shit. All I had was my family. When I lost that, I had nothing. And how do you make a dream when you got to pay out your child support every check and you have no money and you're living on your... You don't. You don't. You don't make a new dream. So when you see the famous people that went on to great lives and they're being interviewed in their hot shots, they just had good luck, that's all. They just had good luck and circumstances fell their way. And God bless them and isn't it great, but I don't, I'm not reading on them. I'm not going to learn about them. They have nothing to teach me. They have nothing to teach me, you know. And if there is a heaven, you know, uh, you know I'll be appreciated then for what I did. And uh, that's what you have to believe about yourself. Even if, even if you look at your life and you say, I'm a failure. I didn't accomplish anything. I don't have anything. What did I do? Instead of the George Bailey thing of no man is a failure who has friends, that's not true either. Because when the things happen in your marriage, you lose all your friends. Shit goes down in life and friends, most of them, turn their backs on you, okay? That's reality. So when, when your dreams fall apart and when shit goes down, Good luck with the friends, too. So, again, move to Florida. Dump on your family. Make new friends. Then when you die, you'll have a shitload of people who love you down in Florida in this exciting, wonderful, accomplished cultural life. Sure, you'll have kids and a wife from back, wherever the fuck you were from, who hate the shit out of you. But it'll be way more overcompensated by the new kids you make with your new wife, the new life, you know? That's why men do this shit. They're smart.
They, they realize this is their only chance, their only life, and they want to live it. They decide not to hang up on a cross for some broad who dumped them. They don't say, oh, well, this, this bitch jumped me and fucked me over, and that's my life. I'm fucked by a woman. They don't do that. They say, no, I'm a man. I'm going to live a life. Goodbye. And if it means saying goodbye to your kids, they do that too because they got to move on because they know if they stay and say, oh, the kids, the kids, the wife will just grab them by the balls. I got your balls because of these kids. I got your fucking balls. And they say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I love my kids. I want to be a father, but I want my balls back. I'm moving to Florida. I'm moving to California. I'm starting a new life. You can keep the kids. Sorry, got to keep my balls. Try to find me and you dodge and you run. That's what you do because you want to live and survive and be. And then when you make it, then you say, here, here's child support. You throw money back at your kids five years later after you started a new life and you're happy and you're making money and you found something. You're living a dream you like. Then you go back and make up with your kids. Fuck the ex-wife. But you go back and you make up with the kids and you give them money. And they go, dad's nice. Yeah, he ran out on mom, but we don't really know why. Maybe mom was a cunt. Yeah. And here's some money from dad. Dad's cool now. Let's say dad's having us out to California. And you go and you visit your dad and you're staying in his place and it's a beach house and everything's wonderful. Meanwhile, dad said, fuck you and dumped you 10 years ago, five years ago. So he could have that for you 10 years later. What do you think? What do you think? Am I, am I talking out of my ass? No, that's the way you should do it. I should have done it. Probably if I have any regret, it's that. I should have left my government job, left my ex-wife, and left my kids. Yes, left my kids and went somewhere and started a new dream. I would have still come back into their lives. They would have loved me. I could have made up with them. I have the skills to do that. And at that point, I'd be living life and be able to share things that are fun and exciting with my children. And, uh, you know, I'd have a comp- and I'd die an accomplished man. And I'd die. I wouldn't die alone. I'd die with a woman, too, by the way. And, you know, and I'd die and I'm, in my retirement, I'd be traveling around. I wouldn't be sitting in an apartment broke because I wouldn't have to retire broke. So, so <laughs> the point is that's the only regret is like, you know, make lemon, make lemonade out of lemons, I guess, by, by running away from your kids. I mean, that's it. I mean, that was the only option for me. Stay, do my duty and live this shit life or dump on my kids and start a new life, you know, and then try to step back into the world. Point is, <laughs> it's all circumstances, it's luck, and uh, don't blame yourself for whatever you end up being and however you ended up living, because at the end of the day, um, you know, most of us are failures, <laughs> okay? And it's not about success or failure. It never was. And if you had my heart as a young person and you were a dreamer and you were passionate and you had ideals, then you know this. It was never your plan to be anything. So now that you're older and you aren't anything, so what? No, you didn't get your dream along the way either. So now you're both nothing and didn't live any dreams. That kind of sucks, but at least you're here. At least you're still kicking. At least you're alive. You know, at least your children love you. At least you did the right thing, in quotes. Was it the right thing? I don't know. I don't know. But it felt like it was the right thing, right? And everyone around you, judging you and watching you, said, you better do this. And you did what they said you better do. And it wasn't good enough. And you weren't good enough. And people hate you anyway. But the point is, the point is you did your best at the right thing. And you did the right thing. And you stuck it out and you hung on that cross and you sacrificed your life. And, in, and you know, maybe you end up with nothing as a result. But George Bailey had all the friends and all the people bringing him stuff and loving him. I don't have that. So George was a nicer guy than me, okay? George was a sweetheart. I'm not a sweetheart, but the, whatever. I don't know. Maybe George George built Bedford Falls or built, built Bailey. He had a business. George, think about that. I'll, I'll end the podcast on this. George had a fucking business, okay? So fuck that movie. George had a fucking business. His dad died and left him that fucking business. You know what I mean? How many of us have our own businesses that we can build? He provided homes for people because he had a fucking business. You know? Most of us have to work for the man. Take it up the ass, working for Uncle Sam or someone else who underpays us, overworks us, and that's it, and we give all our money to the ex and our kids. That's our lives. 
Way worse than George Bailey. Way worse. And when we die, we don't have all these friends coming, laughing and singing on Christmas Eve. We don't have anybody because they all left us when our marriage broke up. And we didn't provide for anyone because we had a shit job and just got through and survived. So nobody thinks of us as helping them out. And the few people we did help out, like our own kids, they don't even think of us as helping them out because we weren't around. We were divorced. You know, they didn't see it. They just, the wife got the money. It wasn't like handed to them. Here you go. Year after year, month after month, you know. So the the one good thing you did, it wasn't even appreciated. So there's no George Bailey party at the end. You see what I'm saying? There's no old Lang Syne for any of us, most of us, because he had a fucking business. He had a business. So the point is he got lucky. He, even George Bailey was luckier than most of us. His dad, before he kicked it, had a fucking business he left him, okay? He, he didn't just leave him a couple hundred or something. Oh, yeah, there's a couple thousand dollars maybe. You know? He left him a fucking business. <laughs> and, it wasn't, and George hated it anyway, and yet look what it did for him. He had a wonderful life because his dad left him a fucking business. Your dad's probably not going to leave you a business. Your, your dad, your dad, I'm pointing at all of you. No, we're not lucky like George Bailey. We're not going to be lucky like Greg Moffay. And we're not going to be lucky like George Bailey. We're probably going to be unlucky like Ray McLaughlin. And end our lives thinking, boy, that sucked. Beep. Clear, clear. <laughs> His last words were, boy, that sucked. But you know what? It doesn't really. I'm making this podcast right before putting the gun in my mouth. No, I'm not killing myself. I'm making this podcast before drowning myself in my tub. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to slip my wrist under the water. I'm not going to drown myself. No, I'm not doing that either before throwing myself off my deck handcuffed. I'm not doing that. Stop it already. No, I'm making this podcast in order to document my suicide. I'm actually going to record it right now. Hold on. No, I'm not doing that. What I'm doing with this podcast is to say to you and you and you and yins and yours that uh, it's okay that you're a failure. We are all failures, most of us. And the ones who aren't, they're nothing to be celebrated. They got lucky, period. That's the story of life. I love you. Yabba da boop